showtime. DeSantis here with Bill Miller. From the streets of South Philly to American Bandstand to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Bobby Rydell has been wowing fans on stage and on screen for decades. He's recorded 34 top 100 hits and last summer was inducted into the East Coast Music Hall of Fame in the town he made famous with his 1963 hit, Wildwood Days. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thank you ever so much, Bill. It's a pleasure. Thank you ever so much, Rosie. Yeah, right. we are really happy to be talking with you again. I believe the last time was uh, at the East Coast Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, right. Trey Bellas performed uh, actually before you at the Mercer County Italian Festival. So it's nice yeah, to see you again. Had a picture with you there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the picture you sent me. You <laughs> That almost looks as good as the picture of you and I together, Bobby. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, I got that one too. Hold on. There it is. Here. There he is. There's your mug, Bill. Yeah, that was only a couple weeks post-surgery. I still have my sling on. Oh, yeah, right, right. You know, you, 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 uh, your real name is William Miller. Yes. Right, but you introduced yourself as Bill Miller. Mm-hmm. Did you ever play piano for Sinatra? No. <laughs> That, that was Sinatra's conductor for years, Bill Miller. You would think I remembered it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and the old man and the old man used to call him Sun Tan Charlie. Here's my piano player, Bill Miller. We call him Sun Tan Charlie. He was always pale as hell. You know. That's great. Yeah. So Bobby, tell everyone your real name because a lot of people don't know it, and you have to say it with the Italian flair. Yeah. With the Italian, uh, you want them with the Italian accent? <laughs> okay, with the Italian accent, uh, Roberto Luigi Ridarelli. R oh, you got Ridarelli. Ridarelli. <laughs> Rick. In Italian, you roll the R's. Yeah. Rick. That's one of my favorite things when we come to see you perform is when you kind of go into your little Italian spurts and you tell your stories about your grandmother and all that. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love my Italian upbringing. You know, I really do. My grandmother was such a great cook. She was Abruzzese. And my wife, my first wife, God rest her soul, uh, she stood behind my grandmother row and cooked exactly like her. Really? Ex ex exactly like my grandmother, yeah. She was really good. <laughs> you made out good in that deal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, growing up as a child, and my grandmother did all of the cooking, you know. My mother never cooked at all. 
my mother never, never cooked. Even when my, when my grandmother and grandfather passed away, my mother, she couldn't cook. Was she Italian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It skipped a generation. Her, her, her maiden name was Sapienza. Ah, yes. Sapienza. And she never, she, all she could do was make a salad. Yeah, well, that's important. Thank you, right? yeah, but, but, you know, but, you know, but, well, hey, mom, what about the scarola and beans, you know? <laughs> Where's the pasta of That's right. You know, my grandmother cooked all of that stuff and my mother made salad. Oh, boy. Especially Friday nights in Lent, you need all that. Oh, yeah. Oh. Along those lines, looking back, one of the things that, that we thought might be just great to talk about and for some of our viewers to hear about is, you know, we just talked about that Italian, that South Philly upbringing, your Bishop Newman High School. And, and, and you go from Bishop Newman High School in South Philly to international teen idol. How did, how did that happen? I don't know, because I, I, was, I was terrible in school. I hated school. I really did. But uh, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun in school. I, I went up into my halfway through my junior year. And I left because things started happening for me, you know, in the business. And I remember a priest, he's a nice man. His name was Father Polini. And he said to me, Bobby, would you come back and do a benefit, you know, for the school? And I said, absolutely, Father. And he said, how much do you want? I said, I don't want a penny, Father. What I do want is my diploma and my graduation ring. And they made up the ring, class of 1960, <laughs> and my diploma, <laughs> Bishop Miller High School. <laughs> and, the, and, and that was great. That's all I wanted. I didn't want any money, just my ring and my diploma. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was really you definitely great. have that Philly pride. Yes. It's like they say, you know. I don't live in South Philadelphia anymore, but the saying goes, you can take the kid out of South Philly, but you can never take the South Philly out of the kid. And that is so true. So Bobby, how big of a factor was being asked to perform on American Bandstand and even, even knowing Dick Clark in your career success? Well, you know, everybody thought that because, you know, the show originated out of Philadelphia, and if you were a Philadelphia artist, you got automatic, you know, play on American Bandstand. Not true. When I was with Cameo, I had three records before my first hit, which was Kissin' Time, summer of 1959. But Bernie Lowe, the owner of Cameo, used to take acetates, dubs, the dick, and play them. And I had three songs before Kissing Time, and Dick would drop the needle on the acetate, and he would go, nah, it's not a hit. Second time, no. Third time, no. Fourth time, Bernie took the acetate of Kissing Time. He dropped the needle on the acetate. He said, that's a hit. And from there, I went on American Bandstand. And of course, you know, that went across the country, 3.30 to 5 o'clock every day from East Coast to West Coast. And when you're on the Clark show and you're performing a record, you know, you're lip syncing, pantomime, you know, whatever, you know, and you're, you're doing your struts, you know, to the, the record, you know, and kids across the country say, well, you know, if Dick is playing it, we have to go out and buy it. When Dick played a record, you know, of course, like I said, it, it just got, it just went coast to coast. And he was a wonderful guy. He was really a wonderful man. 
Did you know all of the other teen idols that came out of Philly, like Frankie Avalon and Faith? Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, we started back in 1985 doing a show called The Golden Boys. And that's myself, Frankie Avalon, and Fabian. Fabian lived a half a block away from me on 11th Street. I was 2400 South 11th. Fabian was 2500 South 11th. Avalon lived on 9th Street, two blocks away from Fabian and me. And I've known Frankie since I was 10 years old. You know, Frankie was about 12 at the time. You know, he's a couple of years older than me. Fabian, I never knew, although he only lived a half a block away from me. I never knew him until, you know, we both met via the business, you know, doing TV, uh, uh, shows, so on and so forth. Uh, but Frank and I go back a long time. I, I call Frank Cheech. You know, that's Frank <laughs> in, in Italian. How you doing, Cheech? Yeah. A nice Irish nickname. <laughs> yeah, right. Abalone. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, and, and you had great hair, too. I think that helped in the teen idol image. Yeah. I, well, now my hair is uh, in the bedroom. It's on the mantelpiece. <laughs> I, I go in, I say hello to it. I call it Fred. How you doing, Fred? Yeah, I used, yeah, I used to. I used to have a lot of hair, you know, back, yeah, but not, not anymore. So, Bobby, who, who had, between Frankie and Fabian and you, who had the best hair? Oh, Frankie. Oh, yeah? Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, everybody thinks that Frankie wears a hairpiece. They do. They think he's wearing a hairpiece. You know, but no. Uh-uh, that's his hair. He's got gorgeous hair. Gorgeous hair. Wow. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He always complains, you know, because he's got some curls in his hair, and he says, oh, my hair is all my eyes. <laughs> Bobby, you made the jump from singing into the movies with a smash hit of Bye Bye Birdie, which, by the way, I grew up watching and loving it. I just Thank you. can't get enough of that movie. Thank you so much, Will. We want to know some behind-the-scenes issues behind the scenes. <laughs> well, <laughs> we heard that it took two weeks to film just the Lot of Living dance number. Did you have training for that? Were you intimidated at all? Uh, no, I, I was never per se uh, a dancer, uh, you know, a, a tap dancer, a guy who can lay down, you know, taps. I was always a good mover. And uh, the number in Lots of Living was a lot of moves. And uh, the girl who choreographed it was a lady by the name of Anna White. She was our choreographer. And we rehearsed for two weeks, and it took almost two weeks to shoot that particular number in the movie Five Like a Bird. You were really a, a triple threat in that song. I mean, there's, you, I, you know, you come on screen and, and, and you're very young. You were 20 years old, but you look- That's right, yeah. And then you open your mouth to sing, and this voice comes out. <laughs> very sexy. Don't your wife? Don't get mad at me. Tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you really knocked it out of the park. But let's let's take a little look. Okay, sure. Think I'll be a ring-a-ding drummer. Make each week a thousand or two gorgeous girls. Well, beg for my number. Hey, I've got a lot of living to do. Oh, 
Bobby, that was fabulous. Thank you ever so much, Will. I, I, it was, you know, uh, to work with the people that I worked with in Bye Bye Bird, you know, Dick Van Dyke, Janet Lee, Paul Lynn, Maureen Stapleton, and of course, my sweetheart, Anne Margaret, who to this day, I, we talk every, I would say every couple of months, you know, just, how you doing? You know, things fine, you know. I think the, it wasn't all that long ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it was her birthday. My birthday is April 26th. Hers is April 28th. So I called her to wish her happy birthday. And she was like, oh, how sweet of you, Bobby. She is so, she's so great. What a wonderful, wonderful person. And it's great to, you know, to have that friendship since 1963. Yeah. The chemistry between the two of you yeah, yeah. just really popped off the screen. I mean, what was it like back then? I know you've maintained, as you said, that relationship, but what was it like back then working with her? We used to have a lot of fun. I mean, there are times if you really look at some of the scenes, uh, I think there's a scene in the gym of the high school where Anne is between Conrad Birdie and the other guitar player. And... Uh, and I'm walking through up in the back of the gym and he starts singing to her and she faints and I jump over the railing and I come down and I have her in my arms, you know, and we're, you know, we're looking at one another and there's smirks and like little laughter, you know, you don't see, if you look close enough on that particular scene, you could see and, you know, just like a little bit of laughter. You know, and, and myself, not, not that she laughs, but it almost comes out. But the reason that, you know, I, I think George Sidney, who was the director of the movie, he must have seen some kind of magic between Anne Margaret and myself, you know, because the part that I played, Hugo Peabody, in the Broadway show, Hugo Peabody didn't sing, didn't dance, never had a line of dialogue. So when I went to the studio every day, to Columbia Studios, my script got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that was all because of that magic, you know, with Ann Margaret and Mr. Sidney saw it. Definitely great fun to watch. It's, it's to fun to hear the stories, to feel like, you know, you have some inside information and now I'm gonna go watch the movie and look for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta look close because it happens, you know, very, very quickly, you know. But you both had that kind of, yeah, you did have a great chemistry, but you also had that, um, the way you sing, it was so seamless and you had many dimensions to your voices. Like, you know, you both had that kind of sexy, Thing, well, you know, you, you're right, Rosie. You know, like I remember when we had to go into the studio, uh, the recording studio, and of course, then when you're on set, you're lip syncing to a playback. You know, and and basically, you know, like one boy, one girl. You know, if I was if I was singing it the way I sing, you know, it would be something like one girl, one special girl, one girl to what? You know, yada yada. But it was like one girl. One special girl. It was like almost like a kind of falsetto, you know, because I had to lay back. Because as you said earlier, you know, I'm vocally, I'm very, very strong, very strong vocally. So I, you know, I had a whole, because I was playing a part. All right. What was I supposed to be? Uh, the both of us were supposed to be about 15 years old, 14, 15 years 
movie. I'm 20, Ann's 21 at that time. So we had to really, you know, hold back. And even Ann as well, because Ann is very vocal. You know, she, she's got good chops. She sings really good too. So we had to kind of suppress it. One boy, one special boy. One boy, the Instead of one boy, you know, <laughs> you know, it had to be nice. It was sweet. It was, it was teenage. It, it, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It was teenage. You're not out there doing, you know, come fly with me. Come fly, let's fly away. You know. <laughs> the character of Conrad Birdie obviously was based on Elvis Presley. Did you ever meet Elvis? No, I never did. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed everything that Presley did. I, I loved, uh, what was the record? Jailhouse uh, Rock. I love that thing because the bass line in that thing was great. You know, going to party in the county jail and the you know, let's rock. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, uh, I wish I could have met him. I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. When you were 19, right. you were the youngest performer to perform at the Copacabana in New Correct. York. Yeah. Obviously. Correct. Very famous uh, who's who of performers. And that's where you met Frank Sinatra, correct? That is correct, yeah. Uh, you, want, you, you want the story? You want to hear the story? Uh, there was a comedian working at the Copa, a headliner, his name was Joey Lewis. Now, Sinatra made a movie about Joey Lewis called The Joker is Wild. So I didn't know it, but Sinatra was in the room to go see Joey because they were friends. And one of the waiters said to me, uh, his name was Carmine. Bobby, would you like to sit with Frank? And I looked at Carmine. I said, Frank? He said, yeah, he's in the room. You want to sit with him? I said, oh, no, I'm 19 years old. I said, I'll just sit with my dad and my manager. After the show, Sinatra leaves. And I said, wow, you know, I blew it. All I wanted to do was shake his hand. You know, because I've been a fan of Sinatra since I was 10 years old. So we go upstairs to the lounge to say goodnight to Jules Fidel, who was the boss, you know, the owner of the Copa. Through the kitchen doors comes Sinatra. And I called him Uncle Julie. I said, Uncle Julie, all I want to do is shake his hand. And Jules Fidel spoke like this. You wanted me, Frank? I said, I, I, I would love to. So now Sinatra is sitting at a table with Sammy Kahn, Jimmy Van Usen, two marvelous lyricist songwriters, Richard Conti, great actor, and Joe DiMaggio, one of the greatest Yankees of all time, and Sinatra. We walk up and uh, Mr. Sinatra's back is towards me, Podell, kind of taps him on the shoulder and he says, Frank, I want you to meet the kid. And Sinatra stood up with those blue eyes, put out his right hand. He said, how you doing, Robert? Called me Robert. I said, fine, Mr. Sinatra, how are you? He says, I'm wonderful. Would you care to join us? Well, I sat there, Sammy Khan, Jimmy Venues, and Richard Conti, Joe DiMaggio, Frank Sinatra. And I, like an Italian, I sat there like a mama Luke. I was like this. <laughs> I didn't say two words. I was in awe. 
And Sinatra turned to me and he said, what do you drink, Robert? I said, Coke. Figure <laughs> <laughs> if I said scotch and water, I get a smack in the face. But that night, he took pictures with my dad, my manager, and me in one of the lounges, uh, booths. And, but then he took a picture with me, just me alone. And he's got his left arm around me. And under his right arm, he has my album, Rydell at the Copa. It's under his right arm. And then he wrote, To Bobby, Best Always, Your Friend, Frank Sinatra. And, you know, wow, what, what an evening. What, what an evening, you know. Not, not, not only the fact that, you know, I had the, the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting him, but he sat with my dad and my manager. Wow. Super. That's probably the best gift you could have ever given your father, right? Besides your own success. You know, and, and uh, um, I'm trying to remember, my, my dad wasn't really uh, a Sinatra fan. There was a singer back then by the name of Jack Leonard. Not the comedian, not Jack E. Leonard, you know, the comedian, but Jack Leonard, who my father adored for some reason. He liked Jack Leonard better than Sinatra, but when he met Sinatra, like, you got to see the smiles on our faces. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was Sinatra, let's face it. Bobby, you just, you just mentioned your dad, and you've talked earlier about your grandmother and your family, so I just, I just wanted to ask how much of an impact did your family have on your success? And what kind of impact did your success have on your family? Well, the only reason I'm in the business today is because of my dad. If I had any talent within me whatsoever, my dad was the first one to see it. He used to take me around to nightclubs when I was seven years old. As the club owner, can my kid get up and sing a song and do a few impersonations? And I'd get up, I'm seven years old, and after I'm done, I would get applause. You know, and I thought to myself, my God, all I have to do is do this and they do that. What a wonderful feeling, you know? So, oh, of course, you know, my fam, my grandfather, God rest his soul, he was so proud, so proud of me, you know? And I, I would, you know, we'd get up in the morning and anything I would say to him, he'd cry. He'd always cry. <laughs> Go I get up in the morning and I said, Good morning, Pop. You know, good morning, Grandpa. Good morning, Papa. What do you call And my grandfather, from what I understand, was an Italian vaudeville. He used to sing and dance, so maybe, you know, that's where the whole thing started. That's where the, the germ is somewhere, you know. I got it from my grandfather. Yeah, and uh, of course the whole family was so very, very proud, you know, extremely proud. But my, I, could, I could hear my father in an audience. I was doing a New Year's Eve show at Harris years ago in Atlantic City with full orchestra. And um, I'm doing the Bobby Darren medley. And um, I think I'm into Mac the Knife. And I'm singing, singing, and, you know, we get into where it goes into 4-4, four, four, and I can hear my father in the back. Way to go, Bobby! He was so proud of me. He would, you know, he he wasn't like a stage mother, you know, he, but he came with me. He came with me to Europe. He came with me to Japan. He came with me to Australia. And, uh, you know, he, it, 
he was just a great guy. He was my champion, Bill. You know, he really was my champion. One other thing that I really wanted to ask you about is, you know, being from Philly, you know, comeback stories are, are what we're all about. The underdog and comeback stories. And Rosie and I love a good comeback story. And I can't think of a more powerful comeback story than yours oh. and, and where you were a few years back and yeah. how you came out of that. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Because you are, you know, your voice, like everything today, and like Rosie said, we've seen you these last couple of years, just tremendous. What you're talking about is delivering the kidney transplant. And uh, that all because, that all uh, came because of drinking. I became an alcoholic, you know, back then. And that was all because of losing my first wife, losing Camille. 35 years of marriage, I couldn't handle it. And unfortunately, I turned to the bottle. And that's what brought on the cirrhosis of the liver. I went into renal failure. So I needed a liver and a kidney transplant. And this was around like the 4th of July, going back in 2012. And my wife now, my wife, Linda, she said, if you're going to get a transplant, this is the time you're going to get it. Because a lot of things happen. 4th of July, you have DUIs, hit and runs, so on and so forth. And there was a girl in Reading, Pennsylvania. She was 21 years old. Her name was Julia. She got hit by a car, was immediately pronounced brain dead, which is the only way that you can get organs. You have to be pronounced brain dead. I got a call from Jefferson Hospital. They said, get over here. And, you know, you don't know. It, it, it could have hepatitis this and BC. My wife said, I don't care what it is. Take it. Take it, because that's the only shot you're going to have, you know? So we went there, and they prepped me, so on and so forth. The operation took anywhere between 21 to 22 hours. And um, everything, you know, turned out fine. I had a wonderful surgeon. His name was Dr. Cataldo Doria. Came from Italia. He studied at Pittsburgh in uh, hospital in Pittsburgh then fortunately came to Philadelphia Jefferson Hospital and he did the surgery and we have become very very dear friends over the years you know matter of fact I do a lot of things for the liver foundation uh, and so okay so now uh, I'm basically not doing anything for six months I'm recouping I called my friends I called up Joe Nero who used to play drums for me a kid by the name of Alan Slutsky, who wrote the book with me, my book, uh, my autobiography, and a bass player by the name of Craig Thomas. And they all came over to the house. I said, guys, I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I said, let's just do tunes. You know, I want to see what's coming out. And I was weak. I was very weak. You know, I'm trying to do things like the shadow of your smile when you are, you know, and it's coming out. And, I'm and then we did some up things. So I'm going, ah, oh, man. And I turned to Craig Thomas, the bass player. I said, Craig, I said, be truthful, man. I said, how do I sound? He said, sounds like Bobby Rydell to me, man. <laughs> 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 and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then a friend of mine who lived next door to me, Lucy Osi, he was a barber and a good, good trumpet player.
player, and he had a band, an 18-piece band. And I called him. I said, Lou, I'd like to try and do my book with your band. He said, no problem, Bobby. And I went there, and the band started playing, you know, my opener, and I started singing, and pow, it came out like gangbusters. He said, well, I'm back. And about, I don't know, a couple of months after that, I was in Vegas performing again. Bobby, you have to settle an argument for Bill and I. We were trying to decide what is your signature song if we had to pick one. I said Volare, Bill, right. Wildwood Days. No, Volare. Uh, Volare is my signature song. It's my walk on music, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Wright Doll. Then music stops. I go into my opener, my closing song, whatever it is. My my you know, my walk-off music is <laughs> so it would be Volare. That's my it's my signature song. You know, like let's say Fabian's song is Turn Me Loose. You know, Frankie's is Venus. Mine is Volare. Okay, so I lost that argument, but I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> you, you pick Wildwood Days? Yes. Oh, well, you know, that, if I'm working down Wildwood, you know, we're doing the Wildwood Convention Center. You know, I, I remember working there once, and I'm done. I didn't do Volani. I mean, I didn't do Wildwood Days. And I'm walking off, and uh, it was little, little Anthony and myself. We had 18,000 people, just Anthony and myself, in the Wildwood Convention Center. It was the biggest show that they've ever had. Now I'm walking off stage and the people, yo, Bob, yo, Bob, will you? And I'm walking back like, what? what, what what's the matter with you people? Yo, Bob, yo, Bob, Wildwood Days, Wildwood Days. <laughs> you know, ba da boom, pat, ba da ba da ba da sprinkles to be gone. But I just had to do that, you know, not do it at all and walk off to hear them. Hey, yo, yo, ba, what are you doing? You know, hey, because Philadelphia fans will turn on you. We do that. <laughs> That's it. This is true. This is very true. Yeah. And, and all, we, we, all in good fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you if you think you're a big shot, you know, you walk around South Philadelphia. Hey, what do you think you are? Big shot or something? I knew you when you were snot-nosed kid. Don't be a big shot around here. Know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All right, one last question. Did you yes. ever play at Palumbo's in South Philadelphia? Who didn't? Everybody worked Palumbo's. Yeah, I, oh, sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how many times I worked Palumbo's, yeah. I mean, my, uh, my drummer now, David Kovnat, uh, he's been with me for 42 years. And he remembered, he was, he was playing drums at Palumbo's just as the house drummer. And Sergio Franchi was there. And he was walking, you know, prior to the show. He's talking to the band. And he says, gentlemen, tonight, let's make it the funky. <laughs> Sergio. <laughs> Sergio Franchi. Come on, the boys, tonight, let's make it the funky. <laughs> oh, gee. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I don't know how many times. 
And Mr. Palumbo, Frank Palumbo, was a superb human being, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man, and his wife Kippy. They were beautiful, beautiful people, and it was always a lot of fun. It was all, of course, after, you know, after the show, you munched, you know, you munched the Palumbo, you know, whatever, whatever you wanted, they got it for you, you know. Yeah. Hey, Bob, you want some more ravioli? <laughs> want some more scottle and beans? They bring it on. <laughs> That's where they took care of their artists. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. This has been so much fun, Bobby. We could talk to you for hours. And the thing I love about talking with you is you're so humble. I mean, you've had this stellar career. And, and you, you haven't forgotten your roots. And you seem really grounded. And like Bill said earlier, your voice sounds better than ever. My brother saw you uh, in Lancaster at the, the American- Oh, the American Music Theater. And with the Golden Boys. Exactly, and yeah. He took my mother and they were just completely blown away. It was, you know, you're, you're as much fun to watch now as, as back in, you know. Thank you ever so much, Rosie, thank you. There, there's another place that we were supposed to be there I don't know, coming up shortly, and it's been moved now till 2021, whenever, you know. And that's a great venue, too, the American Music Theater. Great venue to work. So we'll be there whenever, you know. Well, we'll have to come. Yes, yes please do. Yeah, please do. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to seeing you again. We got to see you twice last year at the East Coast yeah. Music Hall of Fame Gala in Mercer County when my co-host played along with you. And I always close out our show by asking folks to make a difference. And I wanna thank you for making a difference, not just in the Philadelphia area, but around the world for decades. Your music, your personality, your presence has made a difference. And for everyone watching, as always, make a difference for someone every day. And make every day a great day. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week. Wait me now.